Welcome to Jim's Take. I'm your host, Jim Vaughn. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Kennedy. Today, we are going to review indexes and why they are important. So what is an index, Jim? Usually, this is a set of investments that are created by a large economic think tank, Standard & Poor's, Russell's, uh, Morgan Stanley. They sponsor these indexes, and what they're supposed to do is allow an investor to compare a type of investing. So it could be large companies. There's large company indexes. Uh, There could be U.S. stock indexes, developed emerging markets, small companies. We can go on and on. Uh, You can also get styles, what are called factors in our business. Uh, value style, growth style, uh, momentum, quality. There, there are many indexes. The idea is that an investor can choose a type of investment and achieve extremely broad diversification by investing in a fund that is attempting to mimic an index. Yeah. So we'll sort of jump into why they can invest in the index. But before we get into that, we often see these S&P Dow Jones on the news. So oftentimes clients will call and ask us, what does that actually represent? What does that mean for my portfolio? We absolutely get that question, Tyler. And I'm, I'm reminded of a story. I made a presentation once to a, a good client and tried to explain investing in the cyclical nature. And I kept referring to the stock market with the term Dow. D-O-W. And I went through the whole presentation and the Dow went up and the Dow went down. I was explaining and, uh, and I explained how investors are funny. They, they like to buy this Dow when it's high and they don't like to buy it when it's down, unlike everything else. And at the very end of the presentation, a young woman sitting up front really trying to pay attention to the whole thing. And I'm, I'm about to be, I'm almost done. And, she's, and she says, what is Dow? <laughs> what is the Dow? I think is exactly what she said. So uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, sponsored by the Wall Street Journal, and it has it's about the oldest index in the country. It is thirty stocks or thereabouts. The Wall Street Journal can make it twenty nine or thirty one, or spinoffs occur, or splits occur, and there can temporarily be more than. 30. Uh, but this, this is Dow Jones Industrials. It is supposed to represent the biggest companies in the United States. Uh, they're all U.S.-based companies, although U.S.-based companies work throughout the world. All of them do. Yeah. So I, I was uh, taught a hard lesson that clients don't necessarily know what these, what these terms mean. Yeah. So I guess our goal at the end of this is to be able for any listener to tell anyone what the Dow is. <laughs> we, we want them to understand that. Uh, we also want, we want to understand that not everybody knows. You know, the, the story or the comment I always make is that we live in the greatest capitalist society in the history of the world, and none of us were taught anything about capitalism. I don't know that that's a flaw of us or of our teaching. Uh, interestingly enough, if we were ever introduced to capitalism, 
Uh, maybe it was in a philosophy class. And Adam Smith and his Wealth of Nations was studied as, as a philosophy exercise. Maybe we took an investment class along the way, but I, I don't know that they spent much time on philosophy. <laughs> we're, we're just supposed to know this stuff, and, and we don't. So we do have a little history on the Dow, Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was created by Charles Dow and his business partner, Edward Jones. If you put their last names together, you get <laughs> Dow Jones. So that's where the naming came from. And it was created in 1896. Really? That old? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And it's okay. the second oldest index. Do you want to take a guess at the first index ever created? No. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, it's very similar people. So it was the Dow Jones <laughs> Transportation Average that was created in 1884. Okay. That makes sense because the railroads were really about our first big yeah. businesses. Yeah. Shipping probably was before railroads. The Dow Jones Transportation Average is not widely used by the financial media. So, no, we maybe just, it should be. The only thing I saw was it was used to help sort of predict the movement of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Well, I guess that makes sense. If, if the transportation's people, people moving stuff is a good, if that's doing well, then I guess the manufacturers of the stuff are doing well. Yeah, I guess that's sort of the thinking. Okay. So we'll lead that sort of leads us into the next I don't know if it would be even more watched than the Dow Jones, but certainly very much paid attention to in the financial media and that is the Standard and Poor's 500. The Standard and Poor's 500 is an index of large US-based but multinational companies. The Standard and Poor's company determines who's going to be in this list according to their criteria. And their criteria is public. They'll tell you what, what they're looking for. Uh, they reevaluate the uh, Standard Poor's 500 on a quarterly basis with companies coming in, companies being kicked out. Uh, there's also mergers and, and liquidations. And so it isn't always 500 companies at any given time. But these are companies that are, and this is the this is the index that we use to represent large U.S.-based companies. These are all very well run. They're profit oriented. Uh, we think it it presents an excellent representation of how large company America is doing, how their profitability is, and how their all the all important earnings are going for these companies. We think of this as an accurate reflection of large cap. U.S.-based companies. Yes. And the Standard & Poor's was introduced in, I believe, 1926, but it consisted of 233 companies at that time. And the S&P 500 that we know and love today was introduced in 1957. Okay. So a little history on it. All right. Good. The next index that we're going to review is the the last large index that we're going to review for this podcast, and that is the, the NASDAQ composite. Do you want to sort of touch on how that is made up of thousands of companies? Uh, NASDAQ, N-A-S-D-A-Q, is a acronym for what used to be the uh, NASDAQ, the stock exchange, it still is, uh, 
it is mostly technology companies. Uh, they're listed on this over-the-counter market. Uh, typically, they're not on, on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, but, but the key is that they're mostly technology companies, dominant by technology companies. Uh, it also can be an index of uh, smaller companies. Every one of these companies started very small uh, and grew. So it can be used as a nice index for, uh, for small company America, uh, for growing co- company America, and for technology. That's what the index reflects. We'll be right back after this. Which leads us to the next set of indexes that you might have heard of these, but you might not have unless you really pay attention to the financial media. So the first one we're going to review is the Russell 2000. And what does the Russell 2000 represent, Jim? Well, again, here we have another large economic organization, Russell, uh, that has come up with an index that is designed to represent small companies. And the Russell 2000 is 2,000 small companies. Uh, Russell actually divides the world. They have an index called Russell 3000, which consists of the largest 1,000 companies. And then the Russell 2000 is the next largest 2,000 companies. So it's companies 1,000 to 3,000 in size. This represents small company uh, America, very much U.S. focused. Because small companies simply haven't expanded around the world. Uh, they're, they're typically more affected by U.S. operations and U.S. conditions than large companies are. Uh, as by their nature, small companies tend to be more volatile. They can, they can fluctuate both up and down more because they, are, they have narrower operations. Uh, they are can be affected by an event in a way a big company is not. And so over time, you expect a greater return from small companies. You expect greater fluctuation in value. And so that's why we use the, uh, the Russell 2000 small companies. When we talk about small companies, that's the index that we're talking about. Yeah. And I think it's also sort of important to point out that you wouldn't want to just look at the S&P 500 alone. You would want to look at the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 to sort of understand how everything is going on. I think that's a good approach. Uh, in our portfolios, we, do, we have significant portions in both uh, because we think markets move in cycles and sometimes large companies do well and sometimes small companies do well, sometimes neither. Do well. And that leads us to possibly international doing well, okay? Which is the the next index is focused in Europe. It's called the Financial Times Stock Exchange 100. That's that that would be London, uh the London Exchange and it affects similar to the Dow Jones and the Standard and Poor's 500 in this country. It's the it's an index run by the Financial Times of London of largest British companies. 
And it's also referred to as the footsie in the media sometimes. Just so uh, if you hear that term, you you know what they're talking about. Next, we are going to keep moving west from Europe to Asia. And this index is, I might say this wrong, the Nikkei 225 stock average. How is that, Jim? Did I say it right? Uh, You're just fine. You're just fine, Tyler. Uh, Japanese stocks. Japan is now the third largest, was the second largest economy on the planet. It's it's been a remarkable post-World War II success story. They are, uh, so that's a measure of how Japanese stocks are performing. And it is the oldest stock index in Asia. Wow. So that's a little fun fact for you about that one. So I guess the point of doing this podcast is, why are these indexes important? Why do people look at them? What is the point? Generally speaking, particularly when we talk about large companies, uh, they compete, they sell their services, they sell their products throughout the world. Many of the brands that you can purchase in the grocery store here in New Jersey, you can purchase anywhere in the world. Uh, might have different labeling, different words on it, but it's the same, it's the same product. Uh, this is, that goes true for both uh, retail customers and international customers. Business is typically correlated throughout the world. So if the world is doing well, the U.S. is doing well, and if the United States is doing well, the world does well. We are all interrelated, and yet we're different. Uh, so when we come up with a portfolio, we all of our portfo- most of our portfolios are for U.S. investors. They're focused on. U.S. returns, that's where our clients have to spend their money, primarily. The international companies we have to pay attention to because there's times when international companies will do better or worse, and so we want to diversify our investment programs. Part of, part of our thinking is that when a U.S. consumer fills up their tank of gas, uh, they really don't care whether a European oil company dug it out of the ground or whether a U.S. oil company dug it out of the ground. And yet there can be pricing differences uh, on the companies that our clients are investing in. So we want to have exposure to both. We want to be aware of where the bargains are throughout the world. Also, you can't actually invest in the index Right, you have to use a fund that represents the index. Do you want to explain what that means? Yes, yeah, so we we use primarily we use exchange traded funds to to achieve both diversification and also we we want exposure to a particular index. So if we want to invest in large U.S. companies, we can't buy the Standard Poor's 500. We can buy a exchange traded fund that in turn invests in the Standard Poor's 500. And, and by the way, just so you know how all this stuff works, uh, the exchange, the exchange traded fund will pay a fee to Standard and Poor's in order to use their model. That's, uh, they'll pay a royalty. Uh, that's, that's what's in it for Standard and Poor's. And also it allows the investor to know that there is a reliable basis in their investment program. The exchange-traded fund invests in large companies and is modeled on the index, since you can't buy the index. Yeah, so the 
it'll be literally, let's say, for example, it's the Fidelity S&P 500 index ETF. Right. Yes. And you would be able to invest in that. Yes. Which mirrors the same holdings as the S&P 500 index itself. That's right. It's, so that's just how it works. Fidelity charges a management fee to run that exchange-traded fund. Out of that fee, uh, they pay something to Standard Poor's. Gotcha. I think that's all we have. Did you have more to add? I will say that as we come up with these portfolios, we, we use these index-type programs because we want exposure to large companies, small companies, internationally based companies because markets move in cycles we want to we're hoping that we invest in these areas when markets are low because we expect them to appreciate over time you never know and you never importantly you never know when so this this allows us to invest in all of these areas and also to have an enormously broadly diversified program when you invest in a large company fund that is trying to match the Standard Poor's 500, you've made an investment in 500 companies. Uh, they're enormous. These are enormously diversified programs. And for the Russell 2000, there you go. It would be 2,000 companies. 2,000 companies. Uh, and it was interesting. Tyler, you and I met with someone last night, and he was very concerned. Uh, he, has, he has hired us to be his second advisor. Normally, we recommend that you only have one advisor. Two advisors can conflict with each other, do conflict with each other. And what he was concerned about was putting all of his eggs in one basket. And I I don't think he realized how diversified the programs are that uh, we were presenting to him in that each position can be 500 stocks can be 2,000 uh, stocks, and that's, that's in, in one position. So I think that, that that conversation will continue, and I think he'll realize that we have already addressed the all the eggs in one basket issue. We have talked about concentrated stock positions in other podcasts. Uh, we, won't go, we won't get into that today, but these index securities are the antidote, the opposite end of the spectrum from the concentrated position. Yeah. And we'll we'll keep teaching everyone this <laughs> until they uh can answer the question, what is a DAO? <laughs> what is a DAO? Yeah. What is a DAO? Um, I, I won't I won't forget that woman. <laughs> she wanted to know. And I didn't I didn't tell her until the end. Oh well. That happens sometimes. In case you're tired of us talking, we offer a newsletter on almost every financial topic. How does it go, Jim? We periodically write longer three, four-page letters on economic topics of the day and try to explain our long-term thinking about that topic. Most of our emails try to point out good news. The press handles the bad news well enough. Uh, We try to point out the good news that is all around us. And it is a part of our fundamentally optimistic view about economic matters and, and, frankly, the world. How would they subscribe? Uh, they can go to our website, vaughnandcompany.com. Is there any cost to sign up? No. No. We, we use our 
newsletters. We use these podcasts as part of our marketing effort. We want our clients and potential clients to get a feel for who we are, how we think before they contact us. So there's no charge for this. There's no charge for being on the email. They don't receive uh, telephone calls. They do receive emails. And possibly a letter from us. And possibly a letter. We would send them a letter. So thank you for listening. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, Please follow us and like us. And subscribe. And subscribe. Bond & Co. Securities, Inc. Disclaimer. It should not be assumed that your account holdings will correspond directly to any comparative indexes or any of our existing client accounts. Investment in foreign securities have additional risks, including the risk of adverse currency fluctuations. Please remember that different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and current and future results may be higher or lower than those shown. Figures shown are past results and are not predictive of results in future periods. Share prices and returns will vary, so investors may lose money. Investing for short periods of time make losses more likely. It should not be assumed that recommendations made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. For the Vaughn Dividend Growth Program, performance is based on accounts that was managed for the longest period of time, and results are illustrated from inception. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. Performance-based fees can only be utilized by individuals who meet the following qualifications. A natural person who or a company that immediately after entering into the contract has at least $1 million under management of the investment advisor. Or a natural person who or a company that the investment advisor entering into the contract and any person acting on his behalf reasonably believes immediately prior to entering into the contract has a net worth together in the case of a natural person with the assets held jointly with a spouse of more than $2.1 million at the time the contract is entered into. For the Vaughn Equity Asset Allocation Program, performance is based on an account that was among the earliest to use the program. Vaughn & Co. Securities Inc. believes that these results are representative. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. There may be economic or market conditions that affect performance. Bond & Co. Securities Inc. buys concentrated positions for our portfolios, which may make our performance more volatile than that of broad market indexes, and our performance may diverge from an index, positively or negatively, as a result. Investments are not FDIC-insured, nor are the deposits of or guaranteed by a bank or other entity. Vaughn Asset Allocation Program and Vaughn Dividend Growth Accounts results are net of all fees, reflecting trading commissions, maintenance, custody, advisory, and performance fees, if any. It should not be assumed that the recommendation made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. Data and information contained in any chart used by Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. has been supplied by sources we believe to be reliable, but is not guaranteed. Accounts held at Fidelity Investments are covered by SIPIC.